episode on torts, we talked about comparative negligence, and we talked about the pure uh, form of comparative negligence and the modified form of comparative negligence and the two type of modified jurisdictions that we cover with uh, with this comparative negligence. And we talked about how one of those is a 50% jurisdiction, meaning that the plaintiffs can recover if their fault does not exceed 50% or if it's not greater than the defendant's fault. And we talked about 49% jurisdictions where the plaintiffs can recover as long as it's not as great as the defendant's or is less than. And what that ultimately means is that plaintiffs need to be at 49% fault or less or 50%. Uh, it, it, or the defendants need to have 51% or more. What this episode is going to consist of is simply taking those approaches and asking a couple of questions that we should consider when it, when it comes to comparative negligence. And then at the end of this, I want to introduce joint liability. Ultimately, I don't understand joint liability as well as I ought to, uh, but I'm going to work through a couple of practice questions in the future, maybe even record those, post those, just as I go through them so I can see what I'm doing right when I'm not, but I want to give an overview of how I understand joint liability to be functioning as I currently understand it. So the questions that we're going to consider for comparative negligence is that what do we do if there are several defendants? Uh, who? How do we determine who gets how much percentage of fault? What factors are the, is the jury going to consider when they determine what percentage? And then finally, what kinds of conduct is subject to actually being compared to. So let's answer these questions quickly one by one. What are the what do we do if there are several defendants? Are we going to compare the plaintiff's negligence with the defendants with each defendant individually or are we going to aggregate combine them all together? One thing to note is that this is going to vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I'm going to be relying on the Iowa code just because it's uniform for the most part it adopted a uniform kind of code and ultimately comparative negligence is going to follow most of the same rules based off of the Iowa one so in Iowa we aggregate them meaning the um meaning that if a defendant is 20% liable and another defendant is 20% liable and another defendant is 20% liable, we combine those percentages between those defendants to figure out just how liable these defendants can be. Next question, who gets a certain percentage? So only people who are parties to a case are actually attributed a percentage. So for instance, there's if there's a hit and run, you can't find the person who was a hit and run, and so you can't sue them, and because you can't sue them, they can't be a party. So if they can't be a party, well, then they can't be assigned a percentage. Additionally, there are some people who may have immunity to percentages. For example, a lot of government agencies can't be comparatively at fault. They can't be assigned a percentage, and so... Ultimately, what you need to do is determine who is allocated a percentage, 
and who's going to bear the fault for that percentage? Uh, who is the defendant going to be 100% liable for that? Or is the plaintiff going to need to find some way to mitigate that percentage as well? What does the jury consider when coming up with the percentage? First of all, they're going to consider the conduct of the parties. And second of all, they're going to look at the causal connection between the party's conduct and the injury that is involved. And uh, jurisdictions debate on whether or not they're just going to look at a direct causation or if it also needs to be proximate. Finally, what kinds of conduct is subject to comparison? Uh, negligent and reckless conduct is always going to be subject to comparison, uh, but intentional torts are never going to be subject to comparison. And I think that just makes logically sense why you're not going to compare a person who's intentionally, uh, you're not going to compare an intentional tortfeasor plaintiff against that of a uh, tortfeasor defendant. Let's move on to joint liability. Joint liability, uh, there's joint and several liability. Uh, joint liability is when there are multiple defendants and they are liable for the total amount. Several liability is when there are multiple defendants who are individually liable for the amount. And then this also leads into concurrent and concert uh, tortfeasors. So concurrent joint tortfeasors is when the defendant acts individually, but they all bring about the same injury. So, for example, this would be several defendants in their own cars that causes a pile-up accident, pile-up car accident. A concert joint liability is when defendants are acting together, which brings about an injury. Almost sounds like a conspiracy. Not quite that extreme yet, but you can imagine it as being two drivers, or rather a driver and a passenger in one car, are being super distracting to one another, which ends up causing an accident uh, that the plaintiff is now suing them for. That, that would be an example of concert joint liability. Uh, there are issues with joint liability. Uh, the first is that sometimes there are judgment-proof tortfeasors. It's going to be a person who has no money, meaning they are quote-unquote waterproof, judgment-proof to a lawsuit because they can't pay any damages. They have no money to go from, and then all the other defendants can't collect from them to pay, and so ultimately it just doesn't work out on the whole, and this isn't fair to the defendants who actually have to pay for the full thing even when they aren't liable for the full thing. Uh, certain jurisdictions have done things to address uh, this issue. Uh, one thing that they do is that they forego joint liability altogether. Uh, a lot of jurisdictions have forgone joint liability. Uh, some jurisdictions apply it only if the plaintiffs are 0% at fault. Uh, this is Professor Miller's preferred method. Some apply it only if the plaintiffs are beneath the 50% at fault. And then others use it to only recover economic damages, uh, such as medical bills, 
uh, lost wages, but they won't consider non-economic non-economic damages such as their um, infliction of emotional distress in the works like that. And so that is just a brief overview of joint liability as well as some questions that we consider when it, compa when it comes to comparative negligence. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.